Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sammy. And I'm Dwayne. And with us this week to discuss Stranger Things, the Netflix phenomenon, we have some great friends, some guys to give us some wonderful insight on the show, Brian and Marianne. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It is our pleasure, our pleasure to have you all here with us this evening discussing this, uh, like I said, phenomenon of modern TV streaming. Guys, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's two seasons to this show. Soon to be three. Soon Soon to be three, which hopefully when this drops, it'll come kind of timely if our math works out as it hasn't in the past. I was told there would be no math. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I teach math and man, math is hard. So (laughs) so we're going to get into the discussion here, but but we want to do a little bit differently. I'd like to open up with our grades first, so if each of us would like to give it a a number grade, then we will get into our thoughts and discussion on the show. Now we can't take this a scene by scene, segment by segment. Uh, so we're going to we have a brief overview that uh, I believe Jamie's going to read for us. So, um, Sam, I'd like for you to start with your grade. Okay. Since it is the near the end of the school year, and I'm <laughs> sure you uh, have seen quite the uh, alphabet from A to F there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as this goes, you know, and I talked about this, I think back when we did Attack of the Clones, and I said there were two movies, so I had to give each side a grade and mm-hmm. average. And I've kind of done the same thing with Stranger Things. Yeah, I think it deserves it. I took season one, and I gave it a grade. Season two gave it a grade, and now I've averaged them. So my overall grade for this is an A-. minus. Yeah. So I'm going to go A minus. Uh, I felt season one was the stronger. It is the stronger grade. Season two, not as strong. So it pulled it down just a little bit. How low was season two? I'm curious. Um, Actually, I didn't have it super low. Okay. Uh, If you had asked me the first time I watched it, I would have probably scored it a little lower than I did this time around. Um, But in a second viewing, as far as sitting and getting preparing for this – uh, I, I saw a little bit more when I looked at it more critically. Okay. Um, I'm going to jump in with my grade because unlike Sam, um, if I'm giving season two a grade, it would have been higher my first watch through. Mm. Uh, this second watch through a little more critically brought it down due to just pacing, essentially. Um, it, it kind of dug a lot into you know, the, the questions that were asked in season one, but you know, it, it just took so long uh, establishing all that. So I'm going to give season one an A plus. Um, give season two a B. So I'll say an A minus for the whole thing. And uh, we'll uh, save our guests' uh, grades for last. So Jamie, if you would like to share yours, I don't get all this season two hate. <clears throat> no, I, I'm, I, if I was doing the average. It'd be an A. Um, season one is an A plus. It's among the best TV ever made. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, I really like season two. It's not as strong um, as season one. Um, but that's a high bar. Um, I still, I, for me, season two is still an A minus. So it's a solid A for me. Fantastic. Solid A. Okay. Yeah. Season two is is you know it has some wonderful things. Definitely. And we'll, and we'll get there. So uh, careful. Let's let's uh, let ladies first. So Mary Ann, if you would like to share your grades for this show. 
Well, I would give it an A for, for both seasons because I am a product of this time period. And I just love, I graduated from high school in 1984. Oh, okay. And so I love every bit about it where they're really trying to set that time period. Yeah. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. It was phenomenal. Definitely. Right. Um, I guess I would have to go A overall, but um, first season, A plus, like I'm hearing. Second season, right now, a B plus. I could go higher, but there's some characters I want to see a payoff with before I would say, okay, it needed to take that side trip. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's a storyline there that, it, that it's a it's a weird little tangent if it doesn't pay off in season three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And and I think that would really hurt it. If they don't do anything with it, it really will hurt it. Yeah. Yeah. Well before we get too deep into the meat of this episode, <clears throat> Jamie, would you like to breeze through the first section of our synopsis here? Sure. And we're not doing our traditional uh, nerds synopsis. Um, this is super, you know, high overhead, you know, overview. Um, there's too much show here for us to do <laughs> any kind of in-depth <laughs> breakdown. Yeah, if you have not seen this show, you're not going to get a lot of scene-by-scene breakthrough here. Go watch this show. Yeah. It deserves it. Oh, please Then do. come back right. and listen to this. Pause. We'll wait for you right here. We've got chips. We've got sodas. We'll wait right here. <laughs> and, and this is one of those, that I think, I mean, Dwayne, you can't see it because this is an audio medium, but Dwayne kind of shudders when I describe it this way. This is our facts of life kind of approach. You take the good and you take <laughs> the bad. This is how we're kind of breaking this one down. Take facts of life. Facts of life. Those I can be too. I'm not touching that. Okay, uh, so here's our overview. Stranger Things is set in the fictional rural town of Hawkins, Indiana, during the early 1980s. The nearby Hawkins National Laboratory ostensibly performs scientific research for the United States Department of Energy, but secretly does experiments into the paranormal and supernatural, including those that involve human test subjects. Inadvertently, they have created a portal to an alternate dimension called the Upside Down. The influence of the Upside Down starts to affect the unknowing residents of Hawkins in calamitous ways. Boom, boom, boom. And, and honestly, that is a good overview, I think, for both seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, as one season one leads to season two, and, and we continue to see, you know, changes within, you know, Hawkins Lab and things along those lines. So, do you think do you think they missed a chance here to maybe set this thing in Maine? get to castle rock before castle rock got to castle rock (laughs) yeah there you go yeah Yeah. but i mean that that, and that's um as we get to our discussion topics that is probably the thing that this show is most famous for is the role of nostalgia in the show so that's our that's our first discussion topic for season one and and you see it all over it's not just the that it's set in 1984 it's the the games the kids are playing the toys they're playing with yeah. The posters in their bedroom. Well, the, the clothes they were wearing yeah. and all that. Yeah. Even the haircuts. You know, it really defines an era this show does. And uh, you know, they're they're in the dun- they're in the basement in the dungeon. They're in the basement playing Dungeons and Dragons when the show begins. And you know, I know uh, Marianne had, had kind of said she graduated in eighty four. And uh, well, I, I got to make a, a, a confession here. They were playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. When I yeah. first started playing was 1983. 
Wow. Uh, so when that popped up, I was like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, being raised in a very conservative religious household, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was this, the, the devil, you know. And so, so unfortunately, I had to uh, be introduced to Dungeons and Dragons a little, much later in life. But, you know, uh, so Marianne's more along the Nancy characters, you know, mm-hmm. going through high school experience and those things. Now, I was probably right at the age of these kids, you know, right within a couple of years during this time frame. So, yeah, I remember the all of the, the you know, going in season two, going to play in the, the, the Dragon Slayer, you know, mm-hmm. the actual cartoon video game and stuff. But yet the, the nostalgia that you see in this, the, the, you know, your I was in kindergarten. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chief Hopper refers to these bicycles as being like these kids as cattle. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, and that was you had a bicycle, you had freedom, you had yep. your your own. But yet nostalgia is so huge here just to set the tone of cars. And I mean and you have two great eighties icons. Does anybody want to grab a hold of that? Uh, uh, going to nostalgia. When we played D&D, my dungeon master would often get pictures of people and say, oh, this character looks like this. Oh. The evil, the, the, the good princess that we were destined to save in our game was Winona Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's yes. Awesome. Yes, that's great. And she's definitely one of those eighties. Yeah, yeah I call absolutely 80s princess. Yes, totally, entirely. You know, and you have Matthew Matthew Modine. There's it the could not be said in the eighties without Matthew Modine. Yeah, I don't think he had a career past nineteen eighty nine. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what he's been in either. I, I have not uh, IMD beat him lately, but uh, I mean, he had a phenomenal show. He had a pretty good run in the nineties playing suburban dad, like middle aged suburban dad. He had a little run there, but. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of the nostalgia and things, I mean, uh, I, I just want to get into a little bit of the show. Uh, the show tells you so much of what it is within those first few episodes, and what? it blew me away on the second watch through. Uh, you know, preparing for this, you know, Will comes out because they're trying to to lie to to Mike and say that they made it, but Will comes out and says, "He got me. The Demogorgon got me." First off, and then it goes to the intro credits. And, you know, the, the disappearing of Will Byers and, you know, the Demogorgon gets him. And, man, with, with, me with that music and that neon lettering, mm-hmm. I was waiting for Jack Burton to come around the corner. I mean, that <laughs> is pure John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. But another thing that is, um, I was expecting you to jump on. You're talking about nostalgia. I was expecting the Millennium Falcon, you know, oh, yes. acknowledgement oh, right yes. off the bat. So. Yeah, there, there's a um, the Millennium Falcon there. The Millennium Falcon was, you know, of course, being Star Wars 1983, the icon. It was the toy of toys. You know, it was this huge playset that you could fly around. The sad thing is, is they got the wrong era Millennium. I was wondering yes, how dirty you were going to go they with this. The, the, the one yep. that would have been correct had the stickers. Am I right? Brian? Yes, you are. Yes, you more are than correct. correct. And this yep. one had the LED lights on the back. Yeah, yep. noticed that right off myself. I was like, right. nope. That's not. So, <laughs> now yeah. save that for nitpicks, right? <laughs> we uh, we named this podcast accurately. <laughs> We know that that's what we do. I mean, I mean that that that's like job description for nerd, right? Mm-hmm. You look at everything and you go, okay, now hold on, that doesn't work <laughs> because that actually appeared in 1985, not 1983. All right, you know. Now that was a Kmart exclusive in 1986. That's right. <laughs> Only at Toys R Us could you get that. 
And uh, there wasn't a Kmart near Hawkins, Indiana during this time. That's right. <laughs> there are hills because hills are where the toys hills. are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about 80s. Hills. Oh, my goodness. Well, another thing I noticed that was maybe not an element of nostalgia, but was very um, – showed what era it was set in was the just the parental just non-involvement with their kids' lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I noticed that. I mean, they go. I mean, they're just gone. They don't even have a clue where their kids are. Mm-hmm. I mean. Well, I, I saw one thing when I was looking at some stuff to where there was a quote from the, a little bit farther in the second season, but it, it's going on through the whole thing that uh, Mr. Wheeler says, our, "You know, our children don't live here anymore. Don't you know that?" <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Talking to Dustin, yeah, he's like, yeah. "Where's, where's Mike and Nancy? Is they don't live here anymore." <laughs> and and you know, and and as they come and go without you know checking in with the parents, as they're you know, like I said, with the bicycles and the freedom that you had during this time, um, you know, I love the memes where it shows the kid on the big wheel leaping the homemade ramp out of plywood and bricks with no helmet, no knee pads. I mean, that was us. Yes. Yep. Very yeah, much so. I, I, you know, I was told. At this point in time, you come home when we blow the horn. We don't care where you're at. You just can't be out of car horn range. And that's when you come home. That's the way I felt those kids. They had the freedom to do and explore whatever they needed. I love that's because... The world wasn't as dangerous then. Very much so. You know, and of course they were growing up in a small town also. Yeah. And, you know. yeah entirely. Well, you know, for me, you know, at this point in time, you know, very similar to these guys, you know, it was, especially summers, you know, it was up, you were on your bike. I mean, you were miles and miles up the road. You were mm-hmm. up in the hills. You were walking the train tracks. You were in the creeks. You were all of these things. And, and it was you and your buddies. And so this this really hit me because Taking the shortcut through Merkwood. Yeah, you got it. I mean, there were those little things, and you had your your own little nicknames for everything, and that's the part I loved about it. You know, uh, you know, we would go camping up on what we called the Bone Dump. You know, it was that kind of thing, and, and so it just made me. You know, when I saw these guys, especially the first time I watched it, it just it just really hit me, and, and it brought back a lot of really good memories. Uh, of that time period, mm-hmm. I had a I had a question about that. Um, there is, and and this is a little bit of season two sneaking in here, but I, I think it relates to season one. There's only one set of parents in either season who cares about where their kids are and checks to see if they're in the house. It's the bad parents from season two. The abusive father is the only. He gets home and immediately checks to see if the girl's in her bedroom. And it immediately goes to Billy's room to see if he knows where she. That's the only yeah. parent who cares, and he's the worst parent in the whole series. I was wondering if there was something intentional about that. Yeah, I guess that was a uh, showing the doctor control. None of this these yeah. seasons happened before, you know, the Halloween candy scares and the, you know, the white van kidnappings. You know, that, that I don't know if ever if ever really happened or not. You yeah. know, but I know there was a hysteria there for a while. Uh, it just kind of stuck but out to me. I thought it was weird. Yeah, they were really portrayed as kind of creeps, weren't they? Because of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, on you know, the nostalgia, you know, I love the fact when uh, Will and Dustin are doing the the little race. You know, uh, you know, you beat me, I'll give you whatever you want. Well, I want your X Men one thirty four. Anybody check what that is? 
No, I have. Anybody check it out? <laughs> yeah, I have it. <laughs> X Men One Thirty First Appearance of Dark Phoenix. Oh no! Talk about very oh, topical yeah. considering, yeah. but uh, but yeah. So that is, and that that issue was uh, June nineteen eighty. So that issue at this point was already three years old. So that was with the uh, John Byrne, Chris Claremont run. You know, one thing I want to bring up right here. I know we're talking about the nostalgia, but you know, and these kids sell it so well. If, yeah. uh, if I can get maybe run around the table here and kind of get everybody to speak about <clears throat> possibly who their favorite character is or something, you know, that, that, that the character done. Have you got that for later? Yeah, that you're, you're jumping, you're jumping, jumping the gun a little yeah. bit. Okay. <laughs> you're on the right track. You're just early. Okay, just a little bit early. We've okay. been <laughs> known to jump around our, our yeah. overviews very often, but hey. But, you know, I, I love, um, you know, the interaction – they have with the walkie-talkies. I was going the, to mention that as nostalgia. Yes. The radio shack of Mr. Clark, yeah. you know, being that teacher. I'm on a curiosity voyage. <laughs> <laughs> it's ten o'clock at night, Dustin. <laughs> Oh, what was his line? It was a great line. So that you, you told us never to shut down. I forget what it was. Dustin had a great comeback. But uh, on the and a related note to the nostalgia, there's also the. Um, the nostalgic influences, because this is very much a product of its period. I mean, you can feel so um, like the nods the Duffer Brothers are trying to throw to like those you know, people who were great creatives at the time. And uh, our, our guests, did anything stick out to you all? Who did you think of like the really powerful influences on this show? Well, definitely Spielberg, uh, because I, I saw you know several different influences. And as I was reading some things, I even found some other Spielberg-related stuff and things like that. And um, it's uh, definitely to E.T. in several places. Mm-hmm. And one thing when we were talking a little bit earlier about the parents really not knowing where the kids were, that made me think of because a few years ago, I got to spend a weekend with Dee Wallace, who was the mom from E.T., and, you know, everybody would walk up to her and say, oh, I wish you were my mom. And she's like, well, apparently I didn't know anything that was going on. You know, I wasn't really that good of a mom. And so that yes. that made me even think that that was even kind of an 80s thing with the parents, you mm-hmm. know, and some of the, the movies and TV shows and stuff like that. Well, uh, of course, Stephen King uh, with, I mean, and kind of a direct correlation to uh, – the fire starter, uh, mm-hmm. not that great of a movie, but a pretty nice little book um, uh, with a uh, what was she was pyro uh, pyrokinetics, yeah, yes, instead of uh, instead of what eleven was, but you know there's a direct connection right there with Stephen King and Stand by Me, The Body, oh definitely, you know yeah. I, I kind of I mean jumping to season two the the new kid that's introduced in season two. Uh, kind of gives me the feel of the Kiefer Sutherland character from The Body as far as uh, villainous intent. Yeah. Uh, I think one that, and this is probably the one I've got the softest spot for, is the Carpenter feel. And it's not just that opening, the opening credits. It's all the music. It really feels like they've got John Carpenter with his keyboard somewhere doing the score for this thing. I just, I feel every, every little bit of music, all the weird little things they do, it just feels like John Carpenter. And I feel like I'm stuck back into one of his 80s movies. Yeah. And you know, I mean, as I was watching this, you know, and we've discussed before that, you know, I know my, my two fellow podcasters aren't really huge horror guys. Um, so, but you know, during this period of time, I watched a lot of horror movies and, you know, we've talked about that before. So there are all these little things, you know, tying back to these, you mentioned, um, you know, 
poltergeist, you know, those types of things. That just really fell there. And, and especially as you get into season two with Will, that felt very poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Um, even when Will first sees the Demogorgon, it's through the sheets. And I go to Carpenter's Halloween, mm-hmm. you know, the first time that we see Michael Myers is through the, the hanging sheets drying. Um, even the name Nancy, the first thing I go oh, is yeah. not on Elm Street. You know, as soon as you say Nancy yeah. as a character, my head always goes to Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, even Will loading the gun, to me, I'm thinking Silver Bullet. Oh, you know, yeah. when he's That's loading so that, loading crazy. the shotgun. <laughs> I was like, oh, that is so Silver Bullet. And so all of those movies that, that I, I grew up watching, you know, it, it just kind of, as I'm watching through this, is going, oh, I can see that. Oh, I can see what the Duffer Brothers were thinking there or what they're trying to get us to maybe see. Hey, Sammy, make a note over there. Silver Bullet. It'd be a good Halloween episode. That would be a great Halloween Oh, yeah. Yeah, Fantastic. <clears throat> yeah, forgot that one. But yeah, uh, that's what I always speak to people about is when they ask, you know, what's this show like? My daughter's been talking about it, and I'm thinking I'm going to introduce her to it this week. At some point, she hasn't seen it yet, and I think she's at the right age. She's she's 13. There was some there's some things in there that I worry about, but uh, uh, we've had some uh, we've had some talk about language and about you know being a, a, a decent person and stuff. And I think it's something I think she'll enjoy. But you know, I said you know it's a lot like Poltergeist. You you, you take Poltergeist, mix it with the Goonies, mix it with Stand by Me, mm-hmm. and, and you you have Stranger Things and. Uh, We'll, we'll need to come back to the Goonies shortly. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, I, it really surprised <laughs> me those connections. Are, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, the influence on this are just so pulled from those 70s and 80s uh, horror. Yeah, well, yeah, and like in um, adventure flicks. I think it in the in the buyer's house. I can't remember if it's Jonathan or Will's bedroom. There's an Evil Dead poster hanging. Yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, one of them has John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. There's an yep. Evil Dead poster. I think it's Jonathan's room that has the Evil Dead poster because when his dad comes in, he tells him to take it off the wall. Right. It's, it's inappropriate. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and you know, My, I Mike has the Thing poster in his basement. Yes. Yep. Mike yeah. has Carpenter's Thing. And you know, I, I can remember very much uh, the old video store that used to be down below my house. You know, when they would get VHS tapes, they would throw the, the posters in a bin. And 50 cents, you know, quarter, whatever, you could buy posters. And so I had tons, you know, at one point, tons of these types of posters, you know, that were just video release types of posters. And so it was some of these movies, actually. My mom worked at a video store. Oh. I, I got pick of the litter. Ooh. I, got the, I got first chance at a new poster I wanted. You lucky dog. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of nostalgia, how soon is it going to be that video stores are going to be showing up as nostalgic things you know, in movies? I mean, really, it <laughs> is already, if, yeah. you, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, I was talking to my kid the other day about going to the, the movie gallery, Blockbuster, and he was like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, and that was just, what, 15 years ago? Uh, Netflix years ago. I'm not Netflix sure. years ago. <laughs> 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 Well, on another discussion topic we wanted to do here on season one was the the upside down. I just I find that just to be an intriguing thing. Like I, I think about how did what is the nature of it? Is this a multiverse thing? Is it some kind of dark you know supernatural reflection? And so I'm just I'm I'm endlessly intrigued by the upside down. Anybody can anybody explain it to me? <laughs> I, I love Elle's explanation. To the guys when she's you know uh, talking about the the flea on the tightrope I think is the title of the episode yeah. uh, when they discussed it and uh, 
you know, she said, you know, this is everything here and under here. Yes. You know, and it's kind of like the underground, but it's an alternate, you know, kind of like a intertwining, interweaving with our dimension, yeah. just, just right next door. Yeah, but my, my – I, I try to think, okay, my science fiction part of my brain kicks in. Okay, is this the multiverse thing? There's all these, like, you know, string of pearls, multiverses, and this is the mm. one that's closest to us. And so we overlap. It reflects us. Or is this more fantasy? Is it like Alice of the Looking Glass or whatever down the rabbit hole? Is it – I mean, I, so I'm, I'm just I'm – I'm fascinated I, I, by the upside down. I see some smiles at the end of the table. Here. I, think, uh, I think someone has Man, something to think? say. One thing, definitely, it, it's a mirror universe because whatever is here in our world is also there. Yes. Yeah. So it's definitely a mirror universe. And, and I, you know, I, I really feel like maybe as in season three and as we go along, we're going to find out a little bit more about it. That's the feeling I get. I hope so. I love the interaction with the lights. Yes. Uh, you know, Bill, I love how things affected, you know, other things. Uh, you know, Barbara bleeding in the pool, or, or, you know, bridged the Demigorgon to be able to enter, you know, and, and snatch her. And I love the, you know, the Joyce can hear him speaking sometimes, uh, you know, before she puts all the, goes crazy and puts all the lights up. Well, see, I've got another question about the upside down there. So, so everything over there is a reflection, right? And so, like the buyer's house is there, the school is in both it's, places, yes. but they're you know they're you know they got the little weird twisty growy bits on them, the the evil moss or whatever that is. <laughs> and the demogorgons are there. Are the demogorgons reflections of the humans in our world? Are they the are they the upside down equivalent of us? Mm. See, you were talking, Brian was talking about that. Uh, you know, mm. if, if it's a reflection, you know, why aren't the humans there? So yeah. maybe that is, you know, the Demogorgons are just the... They're the us of the Upside Down. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm fascinated by the Upside Down. We know as a mirror universe, the only other thing would do is to have, you know, Mike and, and all the guys with goatees. Uh, <laughs> you know? Get <laughs> me to it. That's a mirror, mirror universe. Yes. yes. <laughs> but, you know, I always looked at the Demogorgons as the apex predator, you know, intradimensional um, there. Because you have the upside down is all the rot and all of the nasty, you know, decay. All of the energy, all of the life have been sucked out of things. It's almost or like a, uh, almost like van- vampiric almost with, uh, with with life and I don't know necessarily blood or, or, or you know cannibalistic but you know almost like an energy just a, just a vitality drain yeah. you know what what I really kind of got a vibe is H.R. Uh, Geiger's art mm. and especially the stuff that uh, they brought into movies like Alien and Aliens where uh, you know there was this kind of techno organic type of feel, but the upside down to me is, is much more the organic side. And you know, and even the Demogorgon, when you think about it, is kind of equal parts flora and fauna. You know, the way that you look at it, the way its mouth opens, it opens very much like maybe a flower would. And, and so to me, like I said, it, it's equal parts hmm. of both of those types of things. And I think there's some, some Lovecraft there too. Yeah. yeah. I think oh, it probably definitely. even more in season two, but I think Yeah. All right, so we've um, we've kind of gushed about season one a little bit. Um, let let's get a little negative. We got to get a little maybe just nitpicks is all we've got for season one. Um, do we have any flaws 
weaknesses, mistakes, nitpicks? What do you think about season one? Well, one thing that I saw, and not that I understood it and everything, but I would think people that were not from a small town would not understand in season one in the second episode when Joyce goes to her boss and demands two weeks pay. And in a small <laughs> town where everybody knows everybody, they're going to do that. But, you know, people that don't live in a small yeah. town would think, what in the world was she doing? Why would they do that? Yeah. You know, that yeah. was one thing that really stuck out at me. Yeah, you really see the era there with, mm-hmm. with uh, you know, her interaction with her boss and you see her as just a take no crap kind of listen I've, I've seen how things work this is what we need this is what I need right now you know she she just kind of lays down the law to him he's like Okay. No. Yeah. What are you going to do? And a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, but that, that, but I, I think I think that Marianne's right. I mean, it's got the double whammy of being era and like geography specific. I mean, that's a very rural slash suburban thing. Yeah, if you were from a big city, you would never think of even doing that or anybody doing no. that. Yeah. If you've grown up all your life someplace else. Yeah, that's not just a 1984 thing. Yeah. That's a rural thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could see yeah. some folks doing that today. Yeah. Brian, do you have anything? It's hard on season one. It's it's hard on season one. I, I was I was hoping, uh, actually, I wanted the, uh, somebody bring in the Satan scare from the 1980s with Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Something like that would have been fun to make one of the parents go crazy over that. But I, I just... I generally thought it was great. <laughs> you know, just, just to mention, and Brian, you said, you know, you played lots of D&D around this period of time. You know, as I did a little bit of research, and, and I understand why they they couldn't do this. You know, all of these little things were made up for the show. You know, the Demogorgon is not an actual D&D monster. You know, the Veil of Shadows does not exist Shut your in, face. in D&D. Shut your face. Yeah. I, I, you need, know, I need this. And, and so once again... <laughs> Don't I, ruin I, the illusion. Nobody wants to, to pay rights, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think... Even now, though, they've backtracked. There is, there's a D&D starter set that comes with the, the Demogorgon. Demogorgon. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah they, they've started yeah. playing some backtrack there. Uh, you know, my biggest nitpick is probably one little simple thing. Okay? The baseball bat. Okay? Put that many nails through a baseball bat, that sucker's splitting. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. just one of these little teeny things, you know, that but I'm looking. Man, did it look cool. <laughs> it did. It yeah. looked awesome. And, and second of all, if you've ever tried to put nails to a baseball bat, not to say maybe I have, but, um, you know, that is not an easy task. No. One, trying to keep it from rolling all over the place, you know, and, and you know, King Steve did that no problem, nailing that sucker right in there. <laughs> so. Well, no, that was actually a Jonathan Oh, was it Jonathan that who did that made, one? Okay. Who made the ball bat? And Steve comes in to to get Nancy because he's oh, that's super right. jealous of, of Jonathan. Nancy. Steve comes in, and they're like, "Get out of here! Get out of here!" And he starts seeing stuff happen, and then he begins to interact, and he winds up with the ball bat. And now I'll tell you, Steve's turn. Well, see that, that, that see, I think that that's actually the only way. Well, I've got two. I've got two weaknesses. The, the things that I think they could. The, the only two things I found that they could have improved upon on season one. And one of them is Steve. It feels like they don't figure out who Steve is until mm-hmm. like they're part of the way through the show. Yeah. Well, they know who they want Steve to start as, and they know who they want Steve to end up as. 
but I think the struggle was getting from A to B. Well, it goes back and forth a little bit, in, in, in a little bit, in in slightly inconsistent ways. And well, and he is—I mm. mean, he's a kid. He's—he's—he's yeah. he's, he's a high school kid trying to figure it out. Yeah, but he goes from like in the middle, sort of in the middle of the season one, from being like sweet boyfriend to being like, "Hey, let's not tell anybody about Barb being dead because I don't want to get my parents mad at me." Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a that's a jerk move on a on a pretty high level. I mean, and it's just it's just kind of. And by and the end of the season, we figure out Steve's actually a good dude. And he's only not been a jerk for a few days. I mean, so give him a break to try to figure out how to not be a jerk. You know? <laughs> but, but come on, the, the guy can open a beer can with a butterfly knife. So I mean, that's he's that, that's skills. awesome. There, come on. <laughs> But I, I think I think the biggest flaw of season one is they lose track of Barb. Yeah, um, that was something I would like to, to have seen resolved in in season. Well, they made a bit. They made a big deal about season two, meeting her parents, and the yeah. whole storyline of them going to the guy and yeah. getting the word out to because but, of Barb. But yeah. in season one, you just she's she's gone. They lose track of her. About Barb, yeah. yeah, that that was uh, that was a missed opportunity there. Uh, she was really a, a character that had quite some potential. I yeah, feel, you know. And I get that. I mean, she's 16 and Will's like, what, 10 in season one? Are they, are they 10? I think, I think they're so, 10. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a 16-year-old is more plausibly could have just, just run away. Yeah. yeah, more than a 10-year-old. So I get being more freaked out by Will being gone. But, I mean, it's a small town. Remember, you know, Joyce just went and demanded, you know, money. I mean, this is a small town. It's got small town rules. You're going to be concerned about any kid that goes missing. That's true. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just I that, my, that was my only nitpick. Yeah, I caught myself during episode one watching it, and I mean, honestly, I've seen this before, but I was holding my breath at parts. You know, it would even oh, yeah. most of it was, you know, it's so suspenseful, so well crafted. Uh, so let's take a small. Well, no, we have some awards. We, yes, yeah, we're we gonna some awards because to, we're doing a show with two seasons. We're gonna do two sets of awards. Wow. Which is uh, sneakily one of my favorite parts of the show. I love so, giving out the awards. Sam, did you clear this with the trophy shop? Uh, I think we're good to go. Okay. Good. I think we're good to go. Okay, so I'll, I'll uh, make sure to build another shelf. Over I, d- the I demanded two weeks' worth of trophies. <laughs> <laughs> so we've actually got quite a few awards to give out, and a couple of them were our guest ideas, but we'll get to those. Um, so best element of nostalgia. Who wants to go first? Uh, for me, it's the D&D, just because of the personal connection. You know, that, that that was the time that I started playing that game. Yeah. Right. I would have to go with the walkie-talkies, because, you know, that is something that kids today relate to, because they have their cell phones, and they would kind of relate to that, being able to communicate mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, I really like, like the, uh, the bicycle. The, the whole bicycle... Interaction there. I mean, you know, how much freedom they had. You had the banana seats, the horns, the lights. You know, they had these things tricked out. You know, and that was just a complete eighties situation on those bikes. I love that. You know, if I if I'm going nostalgia, you know, I'm going to go kind of a, a rabbit trail a little bit for my nostalgia. I loved just the settings themselves, the little things that really just made me go, wow. My grandmother had one of those. I remember that. Like the the, the key ring shaped like a key, mm-hmm. the yes. wooden key, the crocheted pillows on the couch. You know, all these little things that that truly were were genuine to that time period. The uh, you know, and it really just took me back. The cap. 
the uh, cabinet-shaped uh, television. Yes. Yeah, yes. the huge honking yes. cabinet-shaped television that still didn't have a good picture. Well, yeah. even the door to Dustin's room was a slide. Yep. And I had a friend that that the door to his room was a slide. The pocket doors? Yeah. And I'm going to go kind of a weird angle on mine, too. It's just, it's the music. I've yes. already commented on it. Oh, yes. I mean, it just, it that made it feel like, even if I hadn't seen the haircuts and the clothes and the banana seat bicycles, hearing that music, you feel like you're watching something from the 80s. Yes. It's, it's, it's so perfect. Yeah. The the intro uh, could not have been done more perfect. Yeah. I mean, I usually skip the intros on Netflix. I never skip the intro <laughs> on Stranger Things. I always want to hear that music. <laughs> So, Jamie, let's just take it a, a reverse around the table uh, again. Okay. We started uh, – so uh, let's take it with you and come back around this way for best performance. Uh, everybody better say the same name. Um, the best performance by any actor in the show is Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven. If, and if anybody says anything different, you're wrong. I, I think we can all concur. <laughs> I think we can all concur with that. I mean, as, as a whole, she really excelled. Yeah, she stole season one, in my opinion. <clears throat> now, if I was going to give, like, if we were going to call this the Millie Bobby Brown Memorial Award and give it to somebody else, <laughs> I, I, I would say went on a ride. It was surprisingly, like, shockingly good in this. I mean, she went to, like, an acting level I didn't know that she had. Sammy? Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, as far as performance, I, I agree with Jamie. You know, um, you know, Millie Bobby Brown did such a great job, and she really sold this part. You know, she she made us care about her very quickly. Um, you know, and I agree with Winona Ryder. I mean, she just she did take this to an emotional level that that really hit anybody. You know, whether you're a parent or not, you know, this took took you to an emotional level that you could feel her pain. You could feel what this woman was going through. Now, now I would also have to give my award to Destin. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I'll talk a little bit more about him later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've got a spot for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to, you know, best performance probably will be Millie Bobby Brown. But I, I'm going to go with one who was kind of underrated. And really, a lot of the show depended on him, even though he wasn't on the screen as much as the others were. But he was always there. It was Will. You know, he really had to portray the, the, the terror and the aloneness in the upside down. Um, and, you know, so much of it hinges on him. Yeah. And Marianne? Um, I agree with Amelia Bobby Brown, and <laughs> but I do want to add something else. But uh, about her, when I was reading, I uh, read some things the Duffer Brothers uh, talked about, you know, filming all this and, yeah. and everything. And they were talking about how she was just such the uh, the typical 11-year-old. They said when they were filming um, the second episode for season one that she showed up uh, completely covered head to toe with glitter. <laughs> and that, that they don't know where she got the glitter and it halted production for like 30 minutes. <laughs> And they said that was just a typical 11-year-old. Even though she was this great actress, that was just a typical 11-year-old. Uh, that's that's so beautiful. Yeah. I love that. That's so beautiful. And uh, But I do want to throw in there um, Hopper. Yes. Because David Harbour. Yeah. Because uh, I read – it was some of the same interviews about him that – 
he asked for Hopper to wear a hat almost all the time, and he made connections between Hopper and Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. And he also asked that. them if he could be chased by a boulder at some point. <laughs> that's great. So I had to throw that in there. Yes, that's my <laughs> Brian? So I'm backed into a corner and have to say Brown, but I, I agree with that. <laughs> I totally do. But then I have to go with Dustin as far as a kid. I, and I bought him as a kid. And, I, you know, applaud the Duffer brothers for bringing in kids for these roles. We're not having a 25-year-old trying to be 16 yeah. exactly. Uh, exactly. for the most part. Um I thought that was great. And then I, I do have to say Hopper. I mean, I, I bought that he was broke when this series starts, and, and his arch is one of redemption, of rebuilding himself right along with trying to save and figure out what's happening with the kids. I, I thought he did an excellent job. Yeah. I mean, isn't his first scene, like, he's waking up and starts drinking and taking pills, like, immediately? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I love that he's... Drinking and smoking while brushing his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is complete sitting in era. Yeah. Um, and so our, our next thing, and we're going to get back to characters in a second, because um, Brian and Marianne wanted to do a separate set of awards for favorite characters. And so it's not just – so the first award is best performance. And I think Millie Bobby Brown stole that one. Um, we're going to get to the favorite characters a second. That's, I think that's where we can wander off and maybe get some of our favorites in there. But Definitely. before we do that, one last thing, one last word before we do our guest, our guest picks here, but the strangest thing from Stranger Things. Brian, what do you think was your, what was your strangest thing from season one? Hmm. Strangest thing from Stranger Things. Really the, 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 the texture of the upside down. Just the feel of it, uh, that the almost the snow within, um, and there was another Stephen King connection that uh, the 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 mist. I don't know if you've ever seen that or read that, Mm -hmm. and the monsters in the mist. uh, I I think I hadn't hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, because it comes out and it's it's rolling in. so, yeah, that for me, it's the upside down. And thinking about, like you were saying earlier, what the heck? What the heck is this thing exactly? Yeah. Marianne? Well, I uh, thought it was really strange how they found different ways to get in and out of the upside down. And when I was reading things, it said something about that, you know, anytime the Demogorgons came into our world or left, it, they left the, the tares. Yeah. And that they, they would eventually heal and close themselves up. And I thought, okay, well, that, that kind of makes sense. Because I did think that was strange because they found different ways to get in and out. Yeah, that was very interesting the way they, they were in and out. Uh, now Brian was talking about like almost this snow. It was almost like a nuclear ash. Like an ash, yes. You can see there, yeah. <clears throat> I thought one thing that really freaked me out, though, if I'm going to jump on the strangest thing here, was the, uh, <clears throat> the bath. The, uh, the oh. sensory deprivation yeah. tank where she's in there, that really, uh, you know, being mildly claustrophobic, you know, really kind of got me lost. I was like, oh, God, you know, and, and you're putting this kid in here, and it just shows you the evil and the, the links that, that Matthew Modine is, is going to go to Papa. Ah, you know, just... Yeah, that really weird. And then, and then where it takes her to, that mm-hmm. mental my, landscape she goes to. That's, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that's Did anybody weird. think about Minority Report with that? 
because as they would put them in that way, they could foresee crimes going to happen ahead of time. That's the 90s, Dwayne. We're not supposed to think yeah. of that. No, if you go to the original book, <laughs> that's by the yeah. 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 So that, that's where my mind went. I okay. know the movie is, is the 90s, but, but you know the books talking about science fiction and yeah. things along those lines. Um, definitely, I, I just kind of went there because it heightened her powers. You know, very similar to the, the kind of the psionics in uh, Mountain Warrior Report. But yeah, just about that. Uh, strangest thing for me, it, it was not a specific thing. You know, Marianne kind of alluded to the ways they got in and out uh, between the Upside Down and the real world. And the one that, that was to me the strangest, because it was the strangest thing that popped into my head, uh, is when they come through the tree and uh, Nancy crawls through the tree. And my first instance is, gee, that's how Christopher Robin got into the Hundred Acre Wood. You know, <laughs> this is not Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> so, if, if only the Demogorgon would have turned at one point and said, no bother. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, definitely. So see, my strangest thing is my strange way of thinking about things. <laughs> so. Well, I, I think yeah. mine pretty, might be reflective of me too. Um, the strangest thing on rewatching season one that stuck out to me was uh, Steve's hair. Uh, I, I couldn't stop looking at every scene. He, I, kept, I couldn't stop looking at it. So I'm glad he explained his process in season look, look two. That fair yeah. was glorious. Yeah, look because there's like faucet. there's something gravity defying about it. I mean, it doesn't move right. It doesn't move like human hair. I, I mean, mean, this is the Aquanet. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh yeah. yeah, white rain. Yeah, all day hold, baby. <laughs> All right, so um, now, uh, now here, here are our guest awards. Hmm. Best, and they wanted to split into adult and child mm, characters. Now, this was genius. Uh, guys, I would really like to commend you for this. This was genius yeah. because, you know, there really are two sets of people that make you care yeah. for them immensely. Yeah. You, know, you care for Harper. Your heart breaks for Joyce. I mean, and your heart breaks for, for uh, you know, Hopper at times. But and, and I just can't help but fall in love with these kids. Yeah, so yeah, th- their character uh, portrayals were phenomenal. So best adult character. You gonna go back around the table? Sure. Okay, I'm go- I'm gonna do both of mine at the same time. Um, my favorite adult character was Joyce. Um, I think it's being a parent. You know, I just I feel what she's going through, and and I just and the and, sh- and when a writer is so good at expressing that terror and that anguish and that anxiety to get her son mm-hmm. back. That I just I just identify with her all through this thing, and I just feel for her. And I want her to get her kid back, yeah. and so Joyce is my favorite adult character. And in this season, and it's different for season two, spoilers, but yeah. my favorite child character in season one is Eleven. I just I love that girl, and I want everything. I've got daughters too, so that's, that's probably part of it. But I just I want I want things to go well for that kid. I want her to have all the egos in the world. I want her to find some place safe and warm for her to sleep at night. I just want everything good to go and to never have to go back to that place again. I want everything to go well for Eleven. So Joyce and Eleven are my two favorite characters. Yeah. No, very cool. Uh, you know, I really think as far as adult character, I kind of go very similar to myself. Also, you know, I want to be able to teach like Mr. Clark. <laughs> Love Mr. Clark. I want to be able to inspire a group of kids the way that that man inspired, you know, our, our, our core guys. 
you know, I, I, just the way he did it and the way that he brought pop culture into it, you know, that's kind of the way I tend to approach things in my classroom. So as far as my favorite adult character, I mean, it's, it's just the little bits that Mr. Clark has put in there. Love that guy. He's great. Um, you know, best child character, we all know, right? We all know my best, my favorite. Yeah, Dustin. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, there's just something about that kid that it just cracks me up. Uh, in the first season, you know, missing, still missing his two teeth. And, you know, uh, just everything. Of, it's a condition. It's a condition. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're coming in, you know. Uh, but just I, I loved him. I mean, he reminded me a lot of me, I think, growing up. You know, I actually had hair at one point, so uh, it looked more like wheels, but <laughs> I had the bowl cut. Uh, but as far as his personality, you know, he he liked, you know, loved to learn. He loved education. He, he loved talking science, but he could talk pop culture. You know, that was kind of me as a kid. You know, he was also really good at kind of staying back to everybody was running off going, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was my role in the group. So. <laughs> Um, adult character, uh, I'm going to go with Hopper. Um, I loved, you know, Joyce broke my heart, uh, you know, being a parent like Jamie, she tore my heart to pieces. But you see Hopper's brokenness and you learn a little bit about his situation with his daughter through this. And you see his hurt and you see how he deals with this. And he really brought an anchor and a, a view able to, you know, get around some of the emotion. At times, I think, which was which was really needed, but you know, it was still tearing him up inside. You know, so so I'm gonna go with Hop for my adult. Dustin, I, I love that Dustin. You know, he showed so much wisdom at times. You know, bridging um, the disagreements with with Will and Lucas, mm-hmm. uh, bringing um, you know. Oh, I can get this information from Mr. Clark. This is how we want to get this. This is where we want to go for this. You know, he really showed himself, you know, instead of the goofy, toothless kid, as a great leader, you know, uh, here. So that he's he's my favorite kid. Well, I have to say for adult, uh, I'm going to go with Joyce also um, because um, not just because of being a parent, um, she was was willing to do anything she had to do and she tried some very off the wall things and was very successful and a lot of times you know i i really like the way she did that um i read something that um in episode three when she uses the christmas lights that they had originally planned to have the teenagers do that and then this, um, the way they said it was some writer, and God bless his or her soul, because they didn't remember who came up with it, but having uh, Joyce do it. And I think that was definitely, it was much better and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as far as um, child, I'm going to go with teenager Nancy. Yeah. Because I could tell, you know, she probably was not the very most popular kid in the school and she was trying to fit in and probably making decisions that she you know really had to think about and stuff and and so I think that that uh, you know a lot of people can relate to those kinds of things that's funny I didn't like Nancy in season one (laughs) 
And Nancy also. Well, see, I was that age. (laughs) Not that I did those things, but uh, I was that age. So I can kind of understand about trying to fit in in that time period. Yeah. And Nancy also carried that that really cool trapper keeper. Yeah. Trapper keepers. Yeah. Okay, what did you got? Dustin. I mean, just. there's something about that kid. Yeah. Um, he's he should be more of an outsider than he is. With the things he likes, he's the proto nerd of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. He is he has the speech issue. Uh, he's a little overweight, but he has his little family of those kids that accept him. And I think it's just a great uh, dynamic among that group and him right in the mix. Uh, the almost adult character, uh, and I'm picking her just for sadness, is, is uh, uh, what was her name? Barb. Uh, Barb kind of broke my heart. Uh, yeah. The same way Dustin is being accepted, Barb is being shooed off. And uh, I, 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 I thought that was just sad. Yeah, and I, I felt like that's really sad too because I really liked like, her relationship with Nancy. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have seen that play out a little longer. Well, those were our awards for season one. Um, and now I know we've talked a lot about the characters. Uh, listening uh, to some people who have been through Jackson, Georgia, where this was filmed, uh, as the standing for Hawkins, Indiana, uh, they were talking about the the actors being down there, and uh, they had said that uh, Winona Ryder, you know, having playing the emotional role was kind of a basket case around town mm. you know so that that is probably I mean I, I'm sure that that role took a toll on her emotionally so let's go ahead I know this uh, awards and uh, this show is very emotional and, uh, and there's a lot to get into so let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll be back for season two <laughs> And welcome back. Uh, Now we're going to be jumping into Season 2 of Stranger Things. (laughs) (laughs) I love the music, guys. I swear Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, You know, and with Season 2, one of our first big discussion topics are the new characters. And we have some new characters that that start to populate uh, our, our little town now. So, um, you know, who'd like to start us out? So, what well, are you, you know, about much like the 80s shows coming around, you know, you had, after a couple seasons in, you had to have the new kid show up. That's right. Yeah, so you had to have the new kid show up. Uh, yeah, new characters. Yeah, you have uh, Bob. Yep. Bob the Brain. Bob That's the right. Brain, played by Sam the Game legendary. <laughs> Everybody's favorite Goonies. Sam Jack. Yeah. Rudy. Yeah, Rudy, uh, yeah. Sam Gamgee. And also we have Mr. 80s sitcom stand-up comedian himself, Mr. Paul Reiser, Mr. Mad About You. And That's probably it. the two that got the most screen time of the new characters, Max and Billy, Max the new and kids in the Yes, and you have a young red-headed girl and the Red Ranger. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, the, the guy who plays Billy was the Red Ranger in the new uh, newest incarnation of Power Ranger. 
I thought the most surprising thing about the new characters was how many there were. Because yeah. this is already a big cast from mm-hmm. season one. Yes. Brought, the amount you're bringing back is still a big cast. And to bring in this many new characters, I was surprised. The, the introduction for Max is legendary. Because we're introduced in this season to an 80s icon. To an 80s standard. Anybody want to talk about the arcade? The Road Warrior? Oh. <laughs> She's Mad Max. That, that's her. That's yeah. her. But yeah. they introduced her in the arcade, so they're going to try to get, you know, guess who got the top score on Dig Dug? You know, and <laughs> that was such a thing, you know, going to the arcade, you know, raiding the house for quarters. Mom, can I have a dollar? You know. Yeah, I can remember that. Yes. Oh, <laughs> See, I'm just young enough that I missed the arcade. Oh, I'm, I'm old the, enough oh. to, to remember that I have the desire. To, I missed the arcades, but I was, I'm was i just you, young enough that you I didn't missed ever so get, much. So you guys, hold, to to hold a seat right here. So Brian Marianne, <laughs> the arcade, was it not the place to be? It was the hangout place. It was the meetup place. Oh, yes. You know? I can remember uh, arcades, several, you know, around here that – I hang out in yeah. Station I mean, and, Alpha, and we're in a very yes. small town. And you know, and I can think of you know, you guys are slightly older than me, but I can think of you know, like you said, at least three or four, you know, just just right in this vicinity here where we where we are now. And even you know, you would have a pizza joint. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they would take a portion of the dining room. They they were taking money from pizzas and giving it to these arcade games. Well, this is where Chuck E. Cheese and Billy Bob's Wonderland really kind of right. <laughs> yeah. became right. big was during this period of time. So, And so Dig Dug, too, that's kind of funny with the upside down and the digging. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> never hit me. I me feel so either. dumb right now. Well, and wow. I, and I just want to add, I hated Dragon Slayer. I uh, hated I always. That was a I tough mean, game. I hated that game. I mean, the little gold shimmered and you're supposed to move towards that and I move the other way and well, I hated that game. Th- this is no joke. Um, I had a buddy that was putting together emulators and one of the emulators and this was just like last year um, was Dragon's Lair and I tried to play it. Even now I was awful at it. I, I, I couldn't even get past the first little thing. The goblins got mm-hmm. me every time. <laughs> yeah. And this was the first, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, look it up, Google it. This was the first video game which wasn't like an 8-bit Atari. You know, it was, this was the first. It looked like you were playing a cartoon, an actual, honest goodness, cartoon. And, and how inappropriate was the princess? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this uh, you know, He's making hand motions. <laughs> Blessedly bosomed a blonde. Was, you know, was, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, so to speak. Was Dragon's Lake, was that Don Bluth? Was, yes. was he involved with yep, that? Yep, that was Don Bluth's studio. Oh, okay. All right, which eventually worked on the actual cartoon that went with it also. Okay, okay. So, yeah. so I mean, we've established the arcade as characters, but then, you know, we've kind of skipped around, but, you know, I know Jamie's trying to get me back on track. No, here. no, with, I, had, with, I had a comment. I didn't, want, I didn't want to okay. move on yet. Go right ahead. Um, we're talking about the new characters. I thought that Paul Reiser, in a weird way, was kind of like Steve on this season. Like we couldn't quite figure out if, if he was yes, good or not. I, I agree was. with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't wanting to move off the new characters. I just want okay. to focus more on the characters instead of the arcade being a character. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you, you're introduced to Mad Max, who they're trying to figure out who it is, and it, it winds up being this this girl uh, who's taking the moniker of you know Mel Gibson's Mad Max, which was you know the Road Warrior. 
Which is funny because she's always on a skateboard. So she's kind of the road warrior yeah, of, yeah, of Hawking. Warrior. Yeah. yeah, entirely, entirely. And, uh, you know, you have Paul Reiser. You don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. Well, he does. I mean, he's clearly like he's this, you know, government guy who right. does some shady stuff. But, you, I mean, as, as the season goes on, you're still like, we're not sure. He is he a Matthew Modine type guy? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's little glimmers throughout. But, like, he's still doing, like, like when he takes the kids down, like um, Jonathan and, and Nancy down. He kind of threatens them, you know, not kind of. He does threaten them. Like, oh, that's not cool. But right. just... but he goes to bat for Will a few times because Will is, is having interactions with the upside down. He's, he's spitting up these. Uh, but they're kind of even kind of coy about that. These, like, these does he know they... more of what's going on? Is he right. is he just trying to mollify Joyce and let Will develop some more stuff so he can research it? I mean, they're still, like, they're still yeah, a little still unclear on how they're, yeah. I just I found that intriguing. And then at the end, he's, it turns out he's just you know, actually, like, yeah, sure, he's a shady government dude. But he's a shady government dude with a good heart. Yeah. Um, I love Steve's turn in this, and we're introduced to Billy, who is a bigger jerk than Steve could ever be. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one reason with Steve's turn they had to introduce a jerk. Yeah. Because, you, know, yeah. you know, all your 80s movies had had that. So they had to, since Steve was kind of turning the other way, they had to bring somebody in. Exactly. Well, yeah, by the end of season one, he's like the kid's best friend that's helping him and mm-hmm. saving him. And yeah, him he can't, and he can't be the jerk anymore. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love him and Dustin's relationship. <laughs> oh, oh I love that. Yeah. yeah, he's teaching uh, Dustin how to it's back. like a big brother, little brother. <laughs> yeah, yep. So this the the new guy is kind of the sweep the leg guy from the Karate Kid. <laughs> okay. Exactly. All right. Yeah, and he's got the dirty mullet. Yep. Well, well all he needs vampire teeth. And he could have been in Lost Boys. Oh no yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Very true. Very true. Very Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Uh, and, and and he's got some more of that you know that weird '80s hair that doesn't you know obey the laws of gravity. And, yeah, yeah, he's got the dirty mullet. Yeah, I don't there's know if stuff it's going on. Rain there. holding it up or the grease, you know, that's from his body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think it was already it was already referenced earlier. You mentioned that uh, one of your problems with season two was the pacing. Yeah, and season two's got some some weird stuff. Like there's whole episodes in the second half that are only about one character and mm-hmm. doesn't even touch on other characters, other parts of the storyline. Because like in season one, every episode is advancing. It's just bang, each bang, of the storylines. Bang, 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 yeah. And you're it's you're at this pace. You're in your questions are being posed. But I think Things like are happening. episode six doesn't even have eleven in it. No, not at all. And then like season, not season, uh, episode I think seven only has only eleven has in it. And, and there's nothing in Hawkins. In her big city adventure. Yeah, it's yeah. just this. It's that's that's a weird way to tell a story, you know? Because you, I mean, I, after the after those two episodes, it felt like I. I'd lost track of who was doing what, you know. I think they assume. I guess they're assuming we're all going to watch it in one sitting. <laughs> <Yeah. nine episodes laughs> what was your guys' take on the on the puck group um, in the scene? Well, I'm wondering if we're going to uh, see uh, her sister again, or see any of them or, again, or, or even other. Yeah, or uh, yeah, or other, because you know that they did establish that there was a folder with other missing kids in it. Yeah. Well, and I've. So, um, I, I haven't. I, I don't. This has been confirmed, or I've, I've heard an interview where the Duffer Brothers talked about the original plan for the show was to have big time jumps between seasons mm. and have a complete recasting. And so my guess is is that that crew, the kid with the mohawk, eight, that whole crew was supposed to be the cast of season two. And by the, but because of the way we all fell in love with all those kids from season one. They couldn't move on. Yeah. They couldn't do their right. five-year time jump or whatever. Mm. 
But they had lo- they loved those characters so much that they'd already had a storyline for that they couldn't let them go. I could have seen this as being an, um, you know from season to season a semi related anthology. Kind I think of that was the original thing. plan. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing maybe like each season had like there was an eleven and then an eight and then maybe five or a thirteen like a, a different yeah, kid a different from the kid. program that would be for each season. But kind of going back to what you were saying about that, you know, all the characters not being in, in every episode. I'm used to that. That's the way they tell the story in The Walking Dead. They have a lot of episodes <laughs> like that, That's and great. I think that that allows you to develop the characters a lot more because you can develop things that they do by themselves yeah. and bring back to the group. All right. So this is where remember at the beginning with the grade, I said that. Something about season two bothered me the first time, and the second time I thought differently. So this is it. This was the episode. Okay, when I watched it the first time, when it, when you know, first airing type of situation, I was like, okay, you've just totally killed the momentum. I want to go back to Hawkins. I want, you know, I want this place. Mm-hmm. This time around, it hit me. This is Elle's Dagobah moment. This is where mm-hmm. she learns to use the power to its fullest extent. Now, and isn't without it referred this, to in those episodes where she's in this, isn't it referred to with like an Empire Strikes Back? One of the characters refers to that, yeah. Yeah. So without this episode, the final episode can't happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She okay. has kind of come flying back to help him. Yeah. And to yeah. be able to close the gate. Hmm. Such a large thing, Elle at the beginning of this season could not have done that. No. She needed that yeah. moment. But I think the, on, the only flip-flop with my, my Dagobah analogy is it's not Yoda training her. It's the dark side. They want her to pull in the anger <laughs> yeah. you know, to be able to do this. And, Ooh, that's and, it interesting. Was, and it was a weird thing because like, we meet eight and those kids. It's the opening scene it's of the season very two, beginning. and then we don't see them again until what right. episode seven? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big chunk of time that I mean, I just I'd forgotten about. Only when the first time I watched it, when it first came out, I'd forgotten about those kids. I had to remind myself, like, oh yeah, oh, that's who right. Are these people, yeah. And I do like how they had different powers. Yeah. How she had a different skill set than Elle. You know, she should make people see things or feel things. And they're and they're exploring some of that stuff too because they they just launched a uh, another comic book miniseries about six. Mm-hmm. Another girl from the uh, original oh, really? program. Yeah. So, so it's very uh, X Men Weapon Plus type of feel, tying it back to kind of yeah. comics and stuff. And so. yeah, and it goes back into the nostalgia with the '80s with communist Russia. Yeah. Could they have a, another program? Why were they developing these mm-hmm. countermeasures? The conspiracy theory guy mm-hmm. in town. Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah. Did anybody else get an A team? Vibe off the van. <laughs> yes, the yes. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just—it was just kind of a weird setup. The way they introduced them, didn't get and back to them, did a whole episode about them, and then bailed on them. It was just kind of a weird way that they did. I'm not, yeah. I like those characters. It was just kind of weird how they assembled that. Yeah, and it, it also took you know, and I understand it took time to establish Alan Hopper's relationship and how that came to yeah. be about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how that was working out and her frustration. Uh, with that, I know it took time to introduce, you know, uh, Bob's character, you know, and really, you know, make you care for him. But uh, one of the things I think that they paced really well, though, 
was Will's storyline yeah. Yeah. through season two, mm-hmm. where they slowly dialed up what was going on with him. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, I mean, he's full on, you know, having his own poltergeist scenario going on. Yeah. I just thought it felt like the way they ratcheted that tension up on, on Will all throughout that season. I just felt like that, that, that I mean, as, as, as clumsily as some of the other stuff felt the pace, and this was perfect. Well, I think we went from poltergeist to exorcist. <laughs> I mean, that, that, yeah. that was the jump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it went from Carol Ann, you know, over to, uh, you know, a little bit of pea soup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we've kind of hit around some flaws here. Is there anything else on season two, flaws, weaknesses? I've got a big one, but it's kind of a dumb one. So is <laughs> anybody else got anything smart they want to say? <laughs> well, you know, I know we've talked about the flaws and stuff. Um, I want to speak a little bit to the end of season two, you know, when, when they have the snow day. When they have, you know, the the happy ending, so to speak, and just how beautiful that was. That that was really part of, one of my favorite parts of this series. Here here's my flaw. I need Steve to win a fight. <laughs> I, I, in season three, I need this. I need. I don't. I don't advocate kids getting in fist fights. I need Steve to get in a fist fight though and win and for win. once. Because yeah. he gets by the end of each season, that dude. I mean, his He's face is up. is demolished. You know, I, I need I need because we by the end of the season, we love Steve. We want we want good things for Steve. We want Steve to succeed. I need his face not to look so destroyed. You know, I, I want it, I want him to win a fight. Yeah, yeah, I love this the standoff in the van or not in the van, but in the bus in the junkyard. You know, oh, yeah. they, they fortified and they're in there. That's, you know, that's some great stuff. And, and Steve goes Steve out there. Going out there, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to be the hero. Yeah. You know? And there's times where he's like, you know, like when they go down into the upside down, those tunnels, like he's, the kids are going, he's like, no, I'm going first. You follow me. I'm like, yeah. he's protecting. He's got this weird, like, you were such yeah. a jerk when we first met you. And now you're like this weird protective thing. And you're this guardian of these kids. I'm like, this dude needs to win a fist battle. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to our awards for season two. They're going to be the same category, so maybe we can move a little bit faster. Uh, Sammy. All right. Nostalgia. Uh, Go. So, you know, nostalgic for me here. (laughs) um, (laughs) Nostalgic for me here actually comes in um, almost right away. Uh, I think right with um, chapter one for me when his – when we – me a minute here to get my kids straight. Um, There's a lot of them by now. Yeah, just, just for a moment here. Uh, when Mike's mom says, "Okay, we've got to get some, you've got to get rid of some of your toys," and he looks at his mom and says, "But mom, toys have emotional value." <laughs> <laughs> There's my nostalgia moment, okay? Because I understand that kid very well, um, and and the fact that he threw man at arms away really broke my heart. <laughs> Because I always loved my Man at Arms figure. That was my favorite He-Man toy. And and mine I loved because I'd taken a marker and drew a mustache on him because <laughs> because Duncan in the cartoon had a mustache and my toy didn't. So I took a marker and drew his mustache on for him. You had to fix that. That's right. We had, we had to be screen accurate. <laughs> That's great. The nostalgia. I'm going to go with the uh, – oh, I mean there's so much. The cars. The skateboard. Them trying to figure out the these guys come from California, so everything's gnarly and tubular. Tubular. Yeah, that was you know just so hilarious. But you know, really, the uh, 
I'm, I'm going to go back to the arcade. Really set that era and that nostalgia for me. Well, I'm going to kind of pick something a little weird. Um, this is Stranger Things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, when You're in a safe space. When Jonathan and Nancy went to, I believe his name was Murray. Murray. Um, and you know, took them the recordings and took him the recordings all stuff. They <coughs> mailed all of that to newspapers. And nowadays we wouldn't do that. We would just, just email yeah. it or text it or something. So I said that's very nostalgic because we wouldn't do that anymore. No, we just post it to YouTube and let it go viral. Yeah. And I was thinking during that scene when he's doing the thing where he's recording the cassette. How would you explain that to a kid today? What, yes. what Murray's doing there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe in the concept of a mixtape, you know, yeah, which, which yeah. though that type of thing is coming back. <laughs> yeah, mixtape is glorious, Brian. What you got? I, I, for me, uh, one one is uh, the car ride where the Bob is. Uh, that's Aston, right? Yeah. yeah. When he is talking about being fearless, and he's telling the story about the clown. Yeah. Right. And then you're just bringing back in the king and the connections with the the it and yeah, those right. di- dynamics mm-hmm. and that just I was like, okay. What you got, Jamie? Sean Astin. Just him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love, okay, you're looking at nostalgia or best performance? No, no, no. Nostalgia. Him. His face in this movie. I just from Goonies to Rudy, Toy Soldiers, Rudy. 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 <laughs> I mean, I mean, just his presence in this movie. I just, I smile every time I see him in this movie. It's just great. You can't help it. You can't help but smile. And a runner-up is Billy's car. That Trans Am was my favorite car from the <laughs> awesome. When I was a little kid, that was it, man. That was a cool car. That was pretty awesome. Also, for best performance, um, I don't want to go first. Um, I'm going to say Will Byers. Um. I've got a really close second. If nobody else says it, I'll mention it at the end. But I think Will was so good in this season. The way, and for such a young actor, to have those yeah. various stages of not remembering things, of the, of whatever that thing was from the upside down that had invaded him, him slowly changing, and then playing that spy role. Yeah. Of, I mean, it was just, it blew me away how good he did. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing what Will Byers did. He chewed up some scenery. Oh, yeah. Brian? Uh, the Sean Sean Aston, I, I just loved him as as uh, Bob. I thought he he walked the tightrope of trying to play the role as the stepdad coming in and giving words of wisdom. At the same time, you're like, but he was in all those other stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I liked him. I really liked him. I liked the way Jonathan. Because, you know, the whole time, me and my daughter, Alyssa, you know, she's really what got me watching Stranger Things. And, you know, we discussed all the time, you know, oh, that that um, that Nancy and Jonathan, they needed to be boyfriend-girlfriend and all that stuff. And I, I, I really like that, that that did come about. And that had to be hard for him because, you know, she had just been dating Steve, and he was kind of, I would guess, the popular guy yeah. to kind of step into that role, and I think he did a good job at it. Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, all of our kids are already established. All of our kids are already just excelling at what we've got. You know, uh, 
from the first season, I'm going to say Max, really held her own in this cast and really, um, you know, showed you know, confusion, showed, uh, you know, the outsider and was trying to fit in, trying to, you know, I don't understand these guys. These guys would have, you know, were, were the dorks and, and, you know, they're, they're creeping on her and, and she calls them stalkers. Stalker. <laughs> and, and, and she gets integrated into the group and she really holds her own with these, with these kids. She, she is, you know, she grabs her place in the scene and she holds on to it. And she's probably one of the strong performances. Very cool. Um, you know, I, I agree with Jamie. You know, I think um, Will, you know, that the actor playing Will, I mean, goes through so much in this season. And, and to be such a young actor and to have such a range already. You know, um, you know, I jokingly call it the Shadow Kaiju. Uh, so <laughs> that that's my, my joking name for that creature. Uh, but to go through really what what feels like a possession, and to play that almost third person, he likes it cold. You know, that kind of thing. You know, to me, that it, it was chilling yeah. sometimes the way that that he acted those scenes. You know, I, I have to obviously give, give Dustin just a, a quick <laughs> nod. Anybody that can say, I'm on a curiosity journey, I need my paddles, yeah. that's just pure gold. Pure gold. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. And brings us to the strangest thing. From Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Sammy, if we're going back around, or does it have to go back? Or, or back it don't to matter, me? whatever you want to do. All right. Okay, I'll, I'll go first then. <laughs> I've got one. I think it's strangest slash most uncomfortable scene when Billy goes to the Byers house and has that interaction with Mrs. Byers. <laughs> That's the strangest uh, I mean, thing or the most inappropriate. I mean, that, that was just a classic eighties movies. Yeah. You saw that in a lot of the eighties yeah. movies. And stuff. What, what was the the pizza delivery guy that that all that like every time he delivered the pizzas like. The women would like fall for him and stuff. I can't remember the name of the movie all of a sudden, but oh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about uh, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the movie, but yeah, with that was kind of a, a, yeah. a concept. I can remember there. a situation in, in Valley Girls like that where there was a guy and then the mom, and then there was a things going on in the bedroom, and you didn't really know if it was the daughter and the mom or the mom until you saw. And so it was that kind of situation. Yeah, but so. from the second that like, she comes to the door and Billy's like, he, like he gets this look on his face, and then he really, then he gives his line. You know, I didn't know Nancy had a sister. I'm like, where? What's happening? <laughs> Where's this going? <laughs> Jamie, I have a distinct feeling you're gonna be very uncomfortable in season three. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have some Billy becomes the lifeguard at the pool. Yeah. Oh, yes, no. we saw that. We watched <laughs> that. <laughs> I saw the first like teaser trailer that came out for season three, and I haven't watched any since. Who else wants to do a strangest thing? All right. Um, if we're going back around sure. or how we want to do it. Okay. Um, probably my strangest thing is, you know, it's just as far as look and feel. You know, like I said, I, I call it the, the, the shadow kaiju. But I just thought that was just so weird. You know, this this thing, this this shadow, and then the way that it that it goes into wheel and comes out mm-hmm. both. You know, it, it definitely has that that symbiote kind of feel that that you would get with you know Peter Parker Venom type of deal, but but it's on this very larger level. And it, and it moves strangely, like yeah. it was, even just the way it would move in the upside down was creepy. Mm-hmm. One word: dart. 
the little larvae, demi dog, whatever they call those things, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, Dustin fostering it, and caring mm-hmm. for it, and uh, it that loves was nougat. just a great That's right. relationship. It loves, yeah, loves nougat. That was just a great little thing there. I thought it was really, really odd but cool. Speaking of Dart, did did you all pick up that Dart was what Will spit up? Yes. I wondered about that because it, I was wondering how much time was supposed to be between season one and two. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was a long time. It, it was about a year yeah. because um, Eleven was saying she had been there for 300 and some days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. That gave me some pause. Like, yeah. Is it the same or is he spitting up more than one? I don't know. You yeah. Know. Yeah, because it kind of ends just before, you know, you would think probably, you know, winter would start. Yeah. In, you know, season one, and then it picks up. But I'd forgotten right about that. She does say it's been almost a year. Yes, yeah. yes, she, she's counting days when she's confronting Hopper. With but that made me wonder. You, say soon, you said soon on day 30. You said soon on day 275. Well, it's see, we don't know where else they're coming from. Yeah. They could be coming from those tears and, or anything. Yeah. So, right. yeah. Yeah, but those were really cool. Yeah, but that was what he was spitting up. Yeah, yeah. And I think that whole interaction with um, Dustin and, and Dart uh, there at the end, it tells you a little bit more about the Demogorgons that he knew Dustin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, that he, they didn't have any kind of knowledge or memory. Yeah, they're not this mindless thing. Yeah, they actually yeah. have a cognition to them. Right. Yeah. They know what's going on. So, Marianne, what's your strangest thing? I think it's strange, and I understand why it happened, but I think it's strange that Dr. Owens, Paul Reiser, he was just there in the stairway, and he survived all that. Did everything just go by him? Mm. Like, oh, you just go right on, you know? I thought that was strange. I understand why, but I just thought it was strange. I agree, because like when they they take out Bob the Brain, they all converge on it. Yeah. And, and they eat him. Don't break yeah. my heart, Jamie. And then, but like Paul Reiser, like they take like one bite and then just bail and leave him alive. I thought that was strange too. Well, he's rotten inside. <laughs> <laughs> CIA guys, CIA guys taste bad. I don't know. <laughs> okay, Brian, what do you have for us? Well, it's kind of was hinted at in the first uh, season, but the whole research facility. I mean, it's it's. That's just an odd thing in a small it, town. What's the deal there? Yeah, and, and it's protected by a chain link fence you would find around like a school bus garage or something and i'm like now wait a minute uh uh, yeah that's just kept striking me as funny you know you expect this to be way underground and nobody knows where it's at and it's a hatch or something um but no it's just it's like on the ground just, level of the energy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just a little and building. also on top of that, you know, we, we keep hearing about the bad men and government people, but nothing, no organization was ever really mentioned or anything. So who who are these Too people that are running the lab? You know, that yeah. is strange too. Yeah, where did Matthew Modine come from? Yeah. Is he CIA, NSA? I mean, something we something, don't know about. Yeah, something yeah. completely uh, off the books. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe season three. I don't think Matthew Bodine's busy. He could probably back. <laughs> Most likely. Pa- Papa's good. So. Right. Favorite characters. Brian, you want to go? Uh, Dustin again. I'm sorry. That kid. Um, he's got the pearls now. Yeah, he's got the pearls. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for me, again, Hopper. I'm sticking with those two. I, 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 really, uh, I really love Hopper. <laughs> yeah, Hop's great. 
Well, I, I'm going to go with Nancy again because I thought that was so sweet at the end when poor little Dustin was just, he was just, he was trying so hard and she stepped in and, and then the girls were really looking at him <laughs> then right. when she stepped in. So I thought, you know, cause she didn't have to do that. Uh, and that, that shows the bond that, that all of those kids have, not yeah. just the ones that are actually related and stuff like that. And, um, uh, as far as adult, I uh, I was still gonna stick with uh, with Joyce. I, I think she uh, uh, Winona Ryder did such a good job in the second season too, and doing whatever she had to. If she had to almost set him on fire, she was gonna get that thing out of him. Yeah. You know, and when you think about talking about Nancy and Dustin, if you look at the juxtaposition about when they the first interaction we see when she slams the door in his face and he's trying yes. to give her a slice of pizza, to now, I mean, that just shows you how they have bonded throughout the course of, of these two seasons and the peril that they went through. Yeah, yeah. those shared experiences have, yeah, have definitely. broken down like his weird little kid vibe. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump on here. My favorite characters adult character Sean Astin hands down he was such a big heart in this movie and now I I've felt fallen in love with Sean Astin years ago so he is just just a great performer um, he, has, he brings heart to whatever he does now my best my favorite childhood my favorite child character I'm gonna be very very specific here let me be very specific with one individual character at one specific time is Drunk Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Drunk Nancy. She is hilarious. She played that so dead on. And it's at the time in the show when she is being torn, you know, with Steve trying to, you know, just kind of forget about Barb. And she's so torn about it and the stuff that she's been through that Steve is still kind of. On the on the on the edges of, and she just lets him have it, and she's just like, you know, and just slurring, and everything is BS, and she just, I don't know how many times she repeats that word, but you just how a drunk will get on something, but like, oh, it's it's there, you know, and, and and that's what it is. Well, you know, Dwayne, what what was in that anyway? Pure fuel. Pure fuel. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was fun. Yeah, that, that guy was I like fun. the dance that that came back. Right, a little exactly. Dirty kid, like, what's in this? Pure, Pure fuel. fuel. <laughs> All right. Um, as as far as um, adult character, I, I agree. Sean Astin, um, and you know Bob just seems like this sweet. Guy, I mean, you're just. And he happy. ran a radio show. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're so happy for for Joyce that she seems to find somebody who really, really cares about her, and he's genuinely sincere, you know. But I think if you look at this on the level of kind of dramatic, kind of a dramatic side, okay? There, there's a theater theater concept called Chekhov's gun. Okay, and this is the concept that in the first scene, if there's a gun in the wall on the wall, by the last scene, it needs to be fired. Okay, so Bob's here for a reason. Without Bob the brain, they could not have escaped Hawkins' lab. We needed him being Radio Shack. We needed him knowing basic. You know, he he had a purpose. You know, yes, and, and, and just as always, you know. He he sacrificed himself for that also. Yeah. So now, I mean, Jamie brought up a very interesting point. Um, 
at another discussion we had about Stranger Things, about Bob's character always speaking yeah. of death. He never says the word die. Because remember in Goonies, Goonies never, never say, say die. die. No. Never That's say right. So if you go back and watch season two, <laughs> he talks around death more than once yeah. and yeah, never says the word die. die. And, and I will have to say my favorite child character, just because it cracked me up, was Lucas's little sister. Oh, she was classic. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was classic. She was the classic you know, I had the little sisters. <laughs> <laughs> so automatically, I'm cracking up because I could see my sister do, doing that at that time period. Yeah. Well, as our awards come to a close, Jamie, you... Did you start off? Or you you can skip me if you want no, to. No, well, I was listening. I'm, I'm excited about some things, but go okay. ahead. Please give us your awards. I thought you started off. I apologize. No, no, it's fine. No, we, we, we messed up our circle before. That's, I, that's I, I jumped the gun on Strangest Things. So. <laughs> the, uh, uh, best adult character, I'm going to go with Hopper. I loved his storyline in season two. Yeah. And just the, I mean, he's not being the best dad. He's lying to Eleven. But it's because of his, his – he's still traumatized from losing his daughter, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to watch out for her, but he's making mistakes. And it's just this – I mean, just you can even when he's angry at her, you know where it's coming from. You can, yeah. you can kind of em, em, empathize with the pain he's going through. And it's just I, – I just – I loved his storyline. Not just – and it, the performance is great, but also that, that line through all of season two, I just well, – I found really compelling. Um, best child character? I went back and forth on this one. It was tough. It was tough. I wanted to say Will, but I, I gave him best performance, so I'm going to you know, cheat a little bit. Um, I loved Steve in season two, which is amazing because we didn't like – he's so unlikable at the beginning yeah. of season yeah, one. No, nobody mentioned him. He, he, had, <laughs> yeah, he had the heel turn. He, yeah. He, he turned yeah. to him. But Steve was so great in season two, and I, and I love just the, his relationship with the kids, especially Dustin and how protective he got. And, and just, Even at the end, he was so mature about seeing like Nancy and Jonathan together and the way he handled that. He was still wistful. Because you see when he saw them together at the party, how wistful he was about it. But still, he was so mature. And I was just, I was, I mean, I just, I love Steve's part of season two. Well, you know, he even said it. He said, you know, I may be an awful boyfriend, but I'm a great babysitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this is not why we're here. We're not here to shower on this movie. We're here for our beloved K-Man. And you had some doubts this time. I had, I had some doubts how this would go. But, you know, Jamie, no matter my doubts, I know you will come through. So, Jamie, what is our Keanu connection? Well, I kind of stole this bit from a podcast called Hero Movie Podcast. They do a Stallone connection. Uh-huh. And that gets pretty reachy but sometimes. See, I thought we'd come up with this after we recorded Hot Fuzz. Well, no, it, that, that's what inspired me. We kept, we kept bringing up Keanu. I was like, that's right. There is a podcast that does something like this. And so I'm going to do the full-on Sean Keenum thing. He always, he, he's got a more rigorous thing he does. But here we go. This is the Sean Keenum style. Okay. I have a prepared statement. Well, I know a writer has had a really interesting career, from weirdo classics like Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands to period pieces like Little Women and Dracula. There have also been the offbeat cult classics like Heather's in Reality Bites. But... Almost certainly the most important part of her career are the three, count them three times, she has co-starred with Keanu. Last year in Destination Wedding, a movie nobody saw, a movie called A Scanner Darkly, only a handful of people saw, and Dracula. She's got the hat trick of Keanu connections. Now, I I love their uh, roles in Dracula. A Scanner Darkly has been on my radar but has not made it 
through a through a watch yet. Um, and no, I can't say I've seen the other movie, but <laughs> Winona <laughs> is a Keanu pro. Hattrick. Hat three co-stars. Yep. Well, go. there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. It's not there the biggest deep dive we've we had to do. It. But she had the most connections. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Alright, so now our last segment on the show is we do our Keeping It 100. Where we recommend quests for other people. And um, I'm not going to do one this time, but I, wanted, I just want to mention what mine was going to be. There's a Stranger Things graphic novel about Will's time and the Upside Down. We get to see what he went through. Oh, that would be... It's a cool. really good tie-in. There's stuff very about nice. the lights. It's, it's very interesting. But I'm not going to do mine. So... So I think we should hand our Keeping 100 to our guests. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we are honored to have Brian and Marianne with us. They bring a wealth of pop culture knowledge to the show, especially in the horror genres. Um, Marianne and and Brian both seem to be uh, pros at the conventions uh, going around. And uh, so we, we look forward to this and many other future interactions, hopefully, with so, guys, we're going to, as Jamie sets up the timer, we're going to give you all the Keeping It 100 this week. So, you have 100 seconds to sell us on something. Um, either we haven't seen it in a while, something new to us, uh, for us and our listeners. So, Jamie, are you ready? I am ready. Send it on. One, two, three, go. Okay, well, this goes... Um into the 1980s in a roundabout way. It is a comic book limited series called Marvel 1985. And it is a, got the 80s feel from Stranger Things, and it's got the recent feel from Infinity War. This goes all the way back to the old Secret Wars. When, a character, when this boy, and I believe his name was Toby, he starts reading the Secret Wars, and he's collecting the Secret Wars, and he's walking home with his dad. And he notices in one of the houses, he looks up and he goes, oh, huh, that's the Red Skull. And <laughs> the, the Secret Wars characters, the Marvel characters, start bleeding into the real world. And he goes on a wild ride uh, and eventually brings the heroes to his world to fight. And it is in a little town like Hawkins, Indiana, and Galactus is standing on a hill. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and it's uh, reality bending, and it's just a great ride that pulls together the granddaddy of the um, big event comics, the Secret Wars from the 1980s. 80s. So that, that's the one for me right there. Well, that right. sounds like a winner. Definitely to check that out. How much time did we have left? He had 15 seconds left. Wow. He's a pro. Good, good pro at that. And you know, unlike our fellow nerd here, you, you didn't bring DC or Star Trek to the <laughs> yeah. so, so that's a vote in your favor. Uh, <laughs> and just, just to mention that Marvel 1985, it was written by Mark Millar, and the art was by Tommy Lee Edwards. Uh, who is fantastic? Yeah, art. Yeah, incredible. Um, I, I couldn't when you talked about. I remembered it, but I couldn't remember the the, the writer artist team up. So I, I just searched that up, and I had forgotten Mark Millar did that one. Yeah, I'm going to check Marvel Unlimited for that. Tonight. Yeah, it, that, it's, that it's pretty good. Like something definitely worth it's checking out. Well, you know, speaking of checking things out, our next quest we have coming up. 
Marion, were you going to do the key 500? Oh, no, he did. Oh, for both okay. okay. That's, that's also what I thought they had come Oh, okay. I misunderstood. It, it happens. Hey, that's happens. Unless you want us to do another one. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're professional here. So our next quest is going to be coming back to our year of Star Wars. And back on guys, the Star Wars beat. We are finally bringing it home. We're finally getting into the OT. Finally getting into the holiest of trilogies. The original trilogy. Here, starting off with episode four, A New Hope. So, uh, if you guys would like to revisit that, uh, maybe you, unlike myself, you've not seen it 500 times. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is, I think, one of the, the, the classics. So, looking very forward to getting into that. All right. Okay. Jamie, how can people drop us a line if they want to interact with us? Uh, well, Dwayne put out the call for somebody to help us fix our spoiler warning. Um, Dwayne, I put some work into that. Apparently, he's not proud of it. He wants somebody to replace it for him. So, um, if you can, uh, so if you want to send, if you want to work on that, and send it to us. Or if you just want to send us an email, if you've got, if you've got a quest for us, if you've got some news you'd like us to cover on the next news show, shoot us a message on roundtablenerds at gmail.com. Uh, the Facebook group is just you know Nerds of the Roundtable. Um, uh, Dwayne's got an Instagram account he runs for the show. What's the Instagram account? Dwayne? It's uh, Nerds of the Roundtable Podcast. Should bring that up. All right, so just shoot us a message and we'll uh, follow through. And that's all we've got this, folks. Remember, keep it nerdy. At least someone's happy I'm home. It's a dream. You're dreaming. anymore. I mean, what did you think? We're just going to sit in my basement all day, play games for the rest of our lives? It is important to me that you feel safe. I want you to feel this can still be your home.
<laughs> How many children are you friends with? 